Welcome back. It is Tuesday at 2 p.m., which means it's another episode of The Film Maestro. And today, we're going to be comparing E.T. to The Lion King. I'm very excited. So this is the first time we're actually talking about what we're actually going to do, because we said last week we weren't sure, and we were just going to decide. And we, I think we decided, like, probably like Thursday, we're like, I want to do Lion King because it's Hans Zimmer's first Oscar-winning score and of course we broke down his second Dune last week mm-hmm. but Jack wasn't crazy about that because we just did Hans Zimmer so to, right. to convince him I said how about we take E.T. classic John Williams of course and why don't we compare it to something else so this was the only way I could get him to uh, <laughs> agree on doing Lion King which is one of my favorite scores and of course Hans Zimmer scores so mm-hmm. that's what we'll be talking about today but to start off Moon Knight came out last week. Yes, it did. Highly anticipated. One of my most anticipated shows from Marvel since they first started doing this on Disney+. Plus. So said, I was hyped. You said if the show was bad, you would have no faith in the rest of Marvel shows. I am on the record <laughs> saying that. Um, mainly because this was the first and only one to seem to promise a traditional structure of show where we get a pilot episode that sets him up as a character, the main character. Um, and kind of takes his time to set up the world. And I think it did that very well. Well, I don't know about you. Watching the first episode, and again, lots of people had the same reaction as Jack did. There was no mention of any other character in the Marvel Universe. There was not a single, that I could see, a single MCU tie-in at all. Maybe an Easter egg somewhere, but I didn't catch anything. Yeah, nothing that pops out of you like, okay, this is where it fits into the timeline. Apparently it's right after Hawkeye or right around the same time, I think. You know, it, it was very difficult to look at Hawkeye in the first five minutes when we saw the the Avengers movie of the Battle of New York and be like, I yes. wonder this fits in. <laughs> yeah, you, know? you were like, oh, I immediately know when, A, this is a flashback, but B, when this is going to fit into the timeline. Which I will say I loved that little scene. We saw Hulk. We saw Hawkeye from like a different angle. It, it was like, cool. It was like, very oh, cool. Oh yeah! Just so you know, we actually had secret cameras when we filmed <laughs> the Avengers in 2012. Yeah, and we actually saw a different angle in Avengers Endgame too. With, yes, we did. With mm-hmm. the, I think it was Loki saying, "Can I get that drink now?" Something like that, because we had he got the Tesseract, which is how the whole Loki spinoff series started. So Marvel must have hired basically like secret camera guys. To take different angles to be like ten years from now when we make a show about Hawkeye because you know we're going to get the show we we have something new to show everyone yeah they were thinking that far ahead which wouldn't surprise me from Kevin Feige but yeah I guess they were the first thing I, I want to say about the show was uh, the CGI is not great yeah it's a bit um, unfinished it feels like it feels like they were rushing it by a couple weeks I don't um, know why like you know the the truck chase scene. Mm-hmm. Again, minor spoiler. It's not really anything crazy, but... Yeah, I guess just we'll like, put, like, a light spoiler warning out there in case you haven't seen it. We'll be yeah. talking about, like, generic plot yeah. points. Yeah. Like, we just had, like... Again, there's, like, any action show or movie ever, you know, something... Right. Rocks fell onto the road, and it mm-hmm. was just like, eh. It was very violent, though. I don't know if you got that vibe. Yes. Um, I it know. just felt more like a soft R-rated movie in terms of the action. Yeah, so... It kind of reminds me of Alita Battle Angel a little bit, where okay. I, I told you you have to watch that still. Yes, I still have to but watch that. It's on, because it's on the top of my list. <laughs> <laughs> but because they're all robots, they can get away with, like, cutting off people's heads and having, like, serious injuries. Right. And for this, I got the same vibes because, again, this is 
more spoilery probably than anything else, but like part of like Moon Knight's powers is how like he like um imagine I guess imagines like from the audience perspective of like this other guy taking over his body and then killing people, I guess the way to put it. There's like a split personality thing that they have. So I think the <laughs> main character Steven who we meet, uh they're both played by Oscar Isaac who plays the main character. Um Steven it has a British accent. He's in London. Um he comes across as very anxious. He can't hold a job. He's very uh, late. He doesn't. His whole life seems to be out of whack. And he has these random moments where his alter ego, known by Mark, uh, kind of takes over. And we see from Stephen's perspective. So all of Mark's action in the first episode is hidden from us. It just kind of snaps real quick to a different reality, and then we're right back with Stephen. And it's an entirely different area that he's in. It seems like he killed a bunch of people and <laughs> seems like he wreaked havoc um, but Steven doesn't remember that because it wasn't actually him doing it so that's kind of the setup that they have for it right so because we don't actually see on screen him killing or yeah. badly injuring these yes. people we just see them on the ground or with injuries Right. they can put the violence up much more because we're not actually seeing him doing it to someone which right. is a great way to get around that and it feels not more already. real too especially um I think it was one part of one of those moments where it, it split for a second and then came back to Steven and there are a bunch of dead bodies around him. And it was very gory for Marvel. I feel like a lot of times you don't see any blood. There's no um, like explicit images at all. And it's very safe. And a lot of the um, injuries are kind of hidden off screen in generic punches. But this actually showed you the, the aftermath of violence like you were talking about, which right. I think is a really unique step for them. So I wonder if in future episodes will we get that same vibe or are we going to see him being more physical with his enemies i'm sure he will based off the final shot um which i won't spoil specifically in case anyone hasn't seen it the last like one minute was the last one minute was very cool (laughs) yes you've probably ended up seeing it at some point in a trailer or if you haven't seen it i'm sure you've been spoiled already but it is a very satisfying moment even as someone like myself i had no idea who moon knight was what his backstory is so i'm very excited i think it's uh it was a very safe first episode it wasn't anything crazy it wasn't anything bad it was very right. average for me okay so i they, can they i can kinda, see that they kind of left it up for interpretation for future episodes nothing's set up mm-hmm. so but why don't we give a little taste of the soundtrack yes which i'm a very big fan of the main theme it's not anything um i guess jaw-dropping but i was very satisfied when it played especially in the final scene <laughs> uh, i was very excited by that yeah why don't we let's, yeah, let's, let's uh, listen we'll see let's give it a listen
All right, so that is the first, I guess, main theme that we've gotten online for this show. Yeah. Um, That's all that was released so far. In the past, too, they usually have stuck to a first three episodes release structure of the soundtrack so yes. i assume we'll do the same thing for this one but this is the only single track that's been released to the public so far mm-hmm. uh, and there's a little bit of a different rendition of this that plays at the end but i really like the main theme that's in there it's very i don't know what the word is very um i guess it feels like it's inspired by more of the Hans Zimmer wave of film scoring today where it's uh, very percussion heavy very horn heavy um but sounds fun you know it's fun it's it's sort of light like you said this episode doesn't really do a ton of giving you stuff to grab onto. It's a lot of setup. It's a lot of stuff left open, uh, open threads, which I like that because it keeps me invested for the rest of the show. But I can see how, for Marvel's sake, it doesn't really give you enough to catch on to what Moon Knight is right away. So I was a big fan of the choir. Yes. Because we don't hear that too much in Mm -hmm. film scores today. But in the middle, it almost sounds like someone's screaming at you. It's too much for me. Yeah, I, I can get that. It's a lot immediately. Um, I think it, the score would have benefited a little bit more from some change dynamics. Like it starts off maybe a little bit softer and then builds. Um, but yeah, I like it a lot. I'm looking forward to how they continue. I think it should be really cool when uh, they get yeah. through all six episodes. Yeah, it is unique. That's the thing. It's, yes. It doesn't sound like anything, at least, I can think of in the other TV shows we've gone. So that, that's always a good Good yeah, sign, right? It's a good sign. And do you have, now that we're talking about, I guess, the Marvel TV scores, do you have a favorite score from any of the TV shows slash miniseries that they've done on Disney Plus so far? So that's a great question. And I feel like I know your answer. It's funny. It's I think you think I'm going to say Loki. Uh, maybe. That wasn't honestly, my first choice. Honestly, though, they're, they're, very, um, they're very solid. But mm-hmm. honestly, I very much enjoy, not overall, the, one of the main themes they play in the credits for um, Falcon the Winter Soldier because it's okay. a, it's a rendition of Henry Jackman's main theme. Oh, I did not even notice that. Um, I'm glad they put that in there because Henry Jackman's music, as much as I'm not a gigantic fan because it does deviate from Alan Silvestri's score for the first Avenger and all the three Captain American movies, I do really like what he did, especially what you've shown me so far from both Winter Soldier and Civil War. You know, now that you brought that up, I think we should give a quick little sneak peek of of this track because it's very cool it's yeah. short too might as well and then uh, i'll see if you can recognize how similar it sounds to winter soldier how they stole from it of course it's henry jackman himself who does both right but it's very cool I'll, let's see i'll show yeah. you yeah let's do it All right, that was just a little sneak peek, but okay. Henry Jackman for the Winter Soldier theme is one of my favorite Marvel soundtracks, so that's why this instantly was in my head. This is a very cool little, little different take. It's called Louisiana Hero, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know. I, I think it does it well um, because it has that professional big score sound that like you would expect in like a movie, right. and it puts that instantly into a TV show. 
It makes it feel, for the show's sake, bigger than it actually is, which is nice. Right. And, of course, it connects to other things, which you don't like too much. It's not its own thing. But, I mean, it, it did give um, Sam Wilson, like, his own backstory, which we haven't gotten, which was great to see, mm-hmm. I think, for, for him. I liked a lot personally. of what that show set up in the beginning. The first two episodes, I really liked it a there, lot. There's nothing wrong with... It's a very much one-and-done show for me where, like, I'll watch it once. We, like... I'm happy I got to see this, but personally, I'm not going to watch this again. And that's not bad. That's okay. Yeah, sometimes you need that, especially for, which everybody bags on the MCU, and I do too. It's beyond impressive how the level of fan engagement they've been able to keep for right. so long because of stuff like this, because of the show, in particular Falcon and the Soldier, just kind of filling in a spot that needed to be filled in, giving two characters much needed set up and build up for future installments. And it was. You know, it might be at the moment something that's just, eh, this is fine. But like you said, it's just as important for the sake of the entire universe they're setting up as anything else. Yeah, and I would say runner-up would pro- most likely be Loki. Okay. I really loved, what was it, the first episode when there's a moment where Loki and um, Owen Wilson, I forget his name. What is his character's name again? I can't tell you. <laughs> is it Mobius? Is that yeah. it? Mobius. Um, jet ski. He's still waiting. Yes, for the he's still ski. waiting for the jet ski. Um, <laughs> I, yes, I believe it's Doctor. No, I'm getting confused with Morbius. I know, which is an entirely separate conversation. If you type in Morbius in Google, any of the news, one of the first things that will pop up is jet ski because really? the director has talked about him getting his jet ski in uh, season two recently. Okay, and Morbius the movie is right. underneath because it's been eh. <laughs> actually you know it opened to like decent money i think it was 80 plus that's, only an opening weekend that's good because i know friday was 16 i think for early previews so that's decent that it was, was, able it, to was recoup. it was not bad at all it was closer mm-hmm. to i think they said like birds of prey from dc that released a few years ago okay but it was definitely not like the worst opening weekend based on reviews i i think people bought tickets in advance yeah, I think next week, I think the drop offs going to be very bad. <laughs> I'm assuming so. That's my um, guess, at least. But I think a lot, Sony kind of has a unique following for their campiness with the whole Venom side universe thing they're doing. Right. Um, which, in a way, I like it because I can go in there and not care about how it connects to everything else and just enjoy how ridiculous it is. But at the same time, for it to be Sony's partnership with Marvel and they are trying to still bring in stuff from the MCU to lightly attach it, it's just. It feels very hammy and forced, and at the same time, as much as I want to try to enjoy how campy it is, I can't because the, knowing that this kind of movie with this poor reception exists in the MCU now is kind of frustrating. Yeah, but um, it so is I was wondering in the last few weeks, mm-hmm. what have you been currently listening to? Have you been listening to one soundtrack, lots of different tracks, anything that's been I don't know on your mind lately on Spotify as your new number one or is uh, Dune still up there for you? Dune hasn't been up there um, pretty much since it came out and it resurfaced a bit when we were talking about it last week. I did listen to it probably the rest of the day after that but I have been um, because for me with score news I think UAJ are the the primary source. Um, I'm not one to really be on, on the ball with getting new information and when you pointed out to me, which I knew about this already, but I never really connected the dots about Interstellar's expanded edition. Okay. Yeah. Two of the tracks on there stood out to me when we, we did a little group listen uh, in his room. <laughs> what was it, two weeks ago now? Um, and there's two tracks. There's one called Murph. Pretty sure you were like, I have work to do. I'm not going to listen yes, to it right I'm now. Yes, I'm sure enough we listened to and all like, of the oh, new tracks that we didn't know existed. Go. And of course, the tracks are like eight minutes plus. So, Which is a blessing because the first one's Murph, which is 
un- unreleased uh, from the original version. It's on the expanded only, and it's a bit of a, I guess, orchestral remix of a couple of the themes that he put in, uh, Hans Zimmer put in for the beginning part of the film, and its rendition of "Detach" at the end. So good is my favorite thing now. So I've been listening to just probably the last half of the song on repeat for the last couple of days. Yeah. Uh, that organ variation is another one. And just a bunch from on here just All of the shuffle. expanded tracks were very solid. It was like a... It, they weren't... I don't think they're from any like particular scenes. They're just, it's just like, extra. It's just a theme and then like some bonus material in the beginning and end kind of, mm-hmm. like you said, with like detach. But... Right. And the, d- the detached segment feels a lot more orchestral than what we got in the film. The film feels a little bit lighter, which it works for the scene, but I really love how he wrote that section for I'm, Murph. I'm a big fan, though, of that release. Yeah, I'm loving it. <laughs> That's probably going to be towards the top of my uh, my wrapped. But what have you been listening to? Of course, you know, you, you're listening to this like six months, two years, too late. I think it came out like a year ago, I want to say. I think it was 2020, but yeah. Okay. You're finding about this now in 2000. 22 so yeah i know up. i'm behind the eight ball yeah so i've been going back to john williams because Ooh, okay i always forget how good john williams is basically <laughs> this is what happens for me i listen to something from hans zimmer i'm like oh you know he's amazing listen to all of his music i'm like oh yeah john williams is good but hans zimmer is like newer you know because right. he does all recent stuff and i'm like wait a minute did i listen to something from john williams i'm like no he is the best and yeah. I've been listening to some of his concert albums in the last few um, from the last few years that he has done. I think one was in Vienna. It's called. And it's a great track list, all of his classics, and mainly because I want to go see him in concert very, very badly. Mm-hmm. So what, yeah. what what do you do when you can't get tickets? You go listen to a past concert. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing. That's awesome. I have not really given many of his concertos a listen. I probably should. I have not yet. Um, and even did, just some of his concert albums, but too. But he did write that. So, yeah. I mean, it should be pretty interesting to listen to at some point. But it's not like... It's not, it's not from a movie, so... Right, so you don't have the emotional connection to it. I'm pretty sure it's like 30 minutes total, so it's, I, don't, I don't think it's too long. It's not bad. So. Yeah. Let's be a good, you know, like car listen, like on the way to school or something, not that we drive now, but at some point, especially over the summer. I would always either... It's either a podcast that can practically lull me to sleep um, just so it's noise, or it's a longer John Williams track. That's my go-to in the car. In high school, like when I would get on the street of my school was on, on the bus, I would listen to Porch. If you know, if you know what track that I is. I do know what track that is. You know is. what that is, right? Yes, With I Thanos do. when he sits yep. down. One of my favorites from all of Marvel. And I would much. time it. So <laughs> when the bus stops, the track would end. That's awesome. So I would stand up and be like, I'm Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, I wish I thought of something like that when I was going to school because I had like, a really long bus ride. And on the bus on the, on the way back would always be like the sad blues. It would be like time. Anything very <laughs> sad. Be like, what, what am I doing with my life? Why am I, you know, stuck at school all day? <laughs> I want to get back. It would be like that. The existential so. crisis at 3 p.m. Yeah. yeah. So it's time to introduce, like we said, E.T. versus Lion King. Yes, it so is. So I think the structure is going to be... Jack's going to give us everything we need to know about E.T. Okay. I'm going to give lots of facts about Lion King. We're both going to fill each other in, okay. of course. Cool. And put little things that we both didn't know here and there. And then we're going to compare them and see which one we think is better and why. All right. Awesome. So... Do you want to start it off? I can start it off. Okay. Sure. And would you like to play some tracks throughout as well? Yeah. Let's okay, do it. cool. So, E.T., 
the extraterrestrial release in 1982. Uh, I believe it was Williams' fifth collaboration with Spielberg. I got that right. I believe he did Jaws. I trust you. Close Encounters, and then Raiders. Oh, maybe it was fourth. It was fourth time. Uh, regardless, it was well into their collaboration. They were pretty much well established. And for me, for 1982's sake, it is between three films for my favorite score from that year. It's either this, which I think reigns champion, uh, Wrath of Khan by James Horner, which is very strong as well, and then The Thing uh, by Ennio Morricone, I believe. Uh, which actually, not to deviate from E.T. too much, but that film was nominated for several Razzies at the time, and yet it's one of my favorite horror movies. Anyway, sidetrack. E.T. is the best of that year, and it's one of my favorites, uh, Williams and Spielberg collaborations, strictly because of how much Spielberg's editing relies on Williams. The entire ending, pretty much from The Escape. So there's a really awesome track, which I will play an excerpt from, because I think it's Williams' best written work. Okay. Um, which a, might be a bold take. That's a very bold take. But I, once I first heard it, which I can't tell you the exact time I first heard it, but ever since I first played through the whole track and listened to the finale, uh, which was actually well after I saw the film. I and mean, I watched the movie. It didn't really connect with me as much as I probably should have, and the music didn't sit with me for some reason, probably before I was really paying attention to films. Um, but when I went back to listen to it, probably a couple of years later, and I heard that ending, I started kind of studying how Spielberg did it. And... He cut together the entirety of the final escape through the goodbye, matching cuts to the music exactly. And I was like, this cannot have been he edited it and Williams went in and wrote music for it. It had to be the other way around. Sure enough, um, that's correct. He had to go in. He cut the scene basically to give Williams something to work with. And then Williams went off and wrote this beautiful 11-minute, pretty much, a, I guess, an opus at that point. Um, have you seen the... The behind-the-scenes video of Williams and Spielberg. I feel like I have for something. I don't know if it was for ET. So I was I was um, doing some research the other day, okay. and it's funny you say that because that's exactly what I saw in this cool collab behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Was it was Williams on piano and he was kind of playing the main theme, right. and it was Spielberg, and they had a little screen. <laughs> you know, remember that, <laughs> yeah, that time? That was a the, the best big they could OLED displays, yeah. And you, you could hear Williams like, you know, should I cut it now? When should I go to this? Just like what, like exactly what you're saying. Right. And they, like you said, tied it up awesome. perfectly yeah. to get this amazing scene. Because there's a couple of cuts in particular. Uh, glad you brought that up towards the end um, when Elliot's saying goodbye to E.T. And it's very emotional and very, um, you know, classic Spielberg. And there are moments where we cut to Elliot's face and it's a beautiful performance um, from the actor. And uh, it's just so perfect to cut on a beat and then listen to the horns explode as E.T. lifts his finger and says, I'll be right here. Um, there's just fantastic stuff. So right right about what you say with that, did you know that this movie was shot all in order? They didn't have a shot list for this? I did know that, but I didn't know it was every scene, so which that, is insane. That's what I was checking. I was like, there's no way. Right. So, you know, if you're in film school and they tell you, oh, you need a shot list, well, Spielberg's telling you, no, you don't. <laughs> Spielberg's like, we're just going to read the script. But so like, the reason it is was, crazy how they did just that. like what you're saying with this ending scene, was to have a real reaction mm-hmm. when E.T. left right. from the kids. Yeah, and I think that was a really good decision because all of them are attached to this puppet at that point. We have Drew Barrymore. Um, I believe Henry Thomas plays Elliot. Uh, who's in a bunch of horror films now. His career kind of resurfaced, which is good. He looks exactly the same, by the way, just 50. Very strange. Um, <laughs> you know what's funny, though? I was trying to think about this. I'm like, why would you 
why would you do this like shoot the movie this way because it is an inconvenience right of course especially when you have like you know you're cutting between two different sequences and you have to go back to a location like do you shoot one day at this location right. and then have to go back like, it's a lot yeah. of extra time having your actors available right. for times so I want your take then I'll tell you my take why do you think he thought this was the most important thing for this final scene I think he valued the emotion more than anything else um, which for a director is kind of half the job um, as much as he was obviously on board with camera and getting all the lighting right and setting up every sequence and blocking, I think bottom line, his focus was we need the kids to be as real as possible. And the only way to do that was shooting in chronological order to give them that story that they could actually live. But I don't know if you have a different take on that. Well, of course I agree with exactly what you're okay. saying. But another take, and this is kind of, I guess, putting some shade on the actors in mm. general... Right. It's very difficult, and you know this. And you know this is still an issue with movies and TV shows today to get good kid actors. Yes, if you, it's very possible you watch a movie, and the worst part about it is unfortunately the kids acting. Right, where they they try to, you know, you have an adult, and then you try to get like a flashback scene, and it's like the kid, and it's like, eh, yeah, and they know. always do a very good job with appearances. I find. I don't know how casting directors do it, but they find kids who are like that oh, looks right. <laughs> like the younger version, and then they start talking, and unfortunately, they just they don't have the ability yet to perform, and it takes you out of the experience. So my take is to ensure that the kids gave the best possible performance they could, we're going to go all out and shoot the movie in the mm-hmm. This can't be true because there's no way you would, you know, potentially. Um, hurt the, the whole movie's performance of you know shooting it in order and potentially losing out on mm-hmm. production stuff. That's much you know, that's very important as well. Right. But I mean, is it possible that he wanted to make sure that the kids you know gave a great performance? And he was like, this is a way you know. And yeah, you have to think of like the mind of a kid, right? Very simple, naive. Mm-hmm. And like, is this the best way to do it? It's very real, right? We don't. They don't. Because it's hard for kids to act. I think. Especially Sometimes. when it's some really complex material like E.T. where it might be basic on the surface, but trying to ask a kid to be so attached to this alien like it's his dog or like it's even a sibling. And they can't, like, a lot to they ask. can't relate to that. Right. Yeah. Hey, remember when you had an alien? Like, no. <laughs> Especially because, I mean, E.T. looks adorable, but it's also kind of freaky with the way they structured him. And um, this brings up another point, too, which I want to ask you about your thoughts. Okay. E.T. has a very human personality in this film yes it doesn't make sense based on um obviously he's an alien so obviously it's for kids but i want to see if you have any thoughts about if this movie was different and maybe a little bit more adult centric how it would be with et having a little bit more of an alien feel well this movie is from the perspective of a kid that's true it's in the kid's eyes how they're seeing et right and I would compare this movie very much. We should have done this actually is to Peter Pan. Oh, that's very true. Yeah. Very true. Like not growing up. Right. Right. That's the that's the feel I get. And I think that's what the main theme captures brilliantly mm-hmm. is the feel of childhood. It feels like you're a kid listening to that main theme. It feels like Christmas morning. Right. Opening up those presents. And right. that's what Williams does brilliantly and with his main theme. Yeah, and as much as I think his main theme for this is a little bit as close as he possibly could get to plagiarism for himself, um, there are moments throughout, not necessarily the main renditions, but 
where you'll hear the motif kind of casually on um, a few select instruments here and there just throughout to kind of hint back at their central relationship. And it sounds very much like Star Wars, um, very much like the main theme. And as much as I like that it still has its own identity, there are moments where I'm like, ooh, that is, that is Star Wars, exactly. Because sometimes he'll change it just a little bit and it sounds exactly like the main refrain. Hmm. So as much as I love Williams' music, and I think this is his best... Maybe not his overall score, but mainly it's the last piece. That's my favorite. I really like the theme. Why don't we play something? Let's do it. What do you want to do? Uh, maybe we can start with... I kind of want to save the last piece for last just because. Okay. Um, maybe we can do... I believe it's Far From Home, which is the first time... Fireman? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're going to play Michael Giacchino now. No. Mm-hmm. Um, Far From Home, and I believe that is the first time that E.T., has a moment to look out over L.A. and realize that he's no longer home. Well, I'm going to spoil what you want to do, and I'm going to start with playing Flying. Oh, well, classic, yes. That's and a better choice. And then we can go right into that. Cool. Sounds good.
All right. So that was flying, which I think sums pretty much everything that Williams did super well on here. Um, I really love how he starts that off, especially with this cool little whimsical string arrangement with some flutes to set up the main theme, and the main theme kind of takes off in flight, which um, brings up a really cool point about the famous moonshot. Well, there's actually there's two flying scenes. Yes, you're right. There are two flying so scenes. This scene was actually when they're getting away from the police. Is that when this plays? Yeah, and then there's okay. one another track, and that's that that's, that's the one that's called like over the moon or something like that. Okay, and that's when it's just Elliot, that's, right? That's the yes, shot. that's the famous shot. So be careful. Yes, don't don't mess this up. This is very <laughs> important. Okay, so there are two moments. Let's talk about two. The first one is the famous moonshot. That's the first time ET. Um, while he's in the bike, hidden under a little blanket in the basket with the famous shot that's now the poster, uh, we see uh, Elliot kind of take off on the bike, and he's confused, and he doesn't know what's going on, and we see E.T. focusing. And it's a really great moment with a brilliant shot of him flying over the moon, and William, or rather Spielberg is on record saying that without William's collaboration, that scene would have felt kind of dry, uh, which I agree. If you ever watched that scene muted, it seems kind of weird. Something's missing. Sure enough, it's the music. I don't um, know if brilliant the right word to describe this over the moon shot because it, it, this shot is one of the most important shots in film history. So you think I underestimated it? Yes. Okay. I thought you were going to say it wasn't very good. I was like, how dare you? But no. Yes, it is one of the most important for Spielberg's career because this, obviously Raiders already put him on the map as being a very good action director, but this made him something more um, this gave him an emotional side that Raiders didn't have, and he hadn't shown it off before. He did a little bit for Close Encounters, I guess, but this was really the the first time he showed his like child, like I guess what's, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but like that whimsical, I guess, nature I, of his. I don't know how like how these shots become so famous. Like mm-hmm. you think of like The Shining, mm, yeah, right. You think of this shot, but there's something about it that just make them so iconic. I think it's just the build-up to them, and then when they're on screen for not too long, but yet it's just that little like slice of beauty where you're like, wow, this person who's making this film knows what he's doing, um, which sure enough, Spielberg did at the time. So speaking of flying, yes, which everyone's favorite TV show does a little callback to this? Everyone's favorite TV show that does a callback to this. Oh, is it Stranger Things? Stranger Things. I'm trying to remember which one it is. Season one. Okay with 11 with the when they make the car the bike oh you're right yep you're right because she's callback. riding on the back of the bike right 100% callback to ET yeah even the wide shot is yep. um, obviously a little bit different but it's the truck flying right yeah I didn't even really connect the dots on that but yeah you're right it's very much so a, a direct visual reference yeah they knew they knew what they were doing you know it takes place in the 80s so yeah and I love that first season um, after that, I like season two, but it starts to go wary, and then season three becomes a mess. But hopefully, season four kind of brings it back for Stranger Things. But yeah, might have definitely to, a lot of influences. Might have to break that down too. <laughs> might have to. I really love the score for that, especially the first season. There's some really cool stuff on there. A lot yeah. of synth work. Yep. So you had another track that I kind of spoiled your moment a little bit. But yes, but I honestly, I really like how Flying set that up. Uh, this is Far From Home, which is not Spider Man. Not Spider Man. Yeah, not Michael Giacchino. This is 30 years older. Um, and this is the first time E.T. is both running from the government officials who are never really explained, uh, again, because it's from a kid's perspective, so they keep it light with the details. And it's a really great moment where we get a random motif that's never heard again. 
and it's E.T. overlooking L.A. I believe it's about three minutes in. One of my favorite little bits from the track or from the soundtrack as a whole outside of the main theme. So uh, let's go to listen. Okay.
All right, so that is Far From Home. Again, not Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite little motifs in there, again, right around three minutes, it's a moment where an E.T. is running through the forest in a very Spielberg fashion. We only see a silhouette and the lights from the flashlights of the government officials tr- tracking after him. And he gets to this clearing, and you can see all of the suburbs out ahead of him. And it's a very, I guess, poignant moment for the beginning of the film. We don't see his face. We don't see his reaction. But the little kind of sulk move that he they give the puppet of E.T. Uh, kind of tells you all you need to know about how he's realizing at that moment that he's not home. And uh, he's far away from home, hence the title. So definitely a really uh, fun track, I think. It hints at a lot of the themes that are going to come later in the film, especially the villainous theme, which is developed a little bit later um, and becomes very, I guess, almost violent with some percussion uh, when the government officials kind of take over Elliot's house. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on uh, what we just heard. You know, you said, what was that word you just said? Government officials? Yeah. And think of Stranger Things? Yeah, I tell you, it's, you're right. It's the, I mean, I, we already knew that Stranger Things was based off of pretty much everything Spielberg, but it is... Probably the closest to an ET type story, I guess. Yeah, a little bit more than you than you thought. So yeah, I never really connect the dots, but sure enough, it's there. Um, not the most, not 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 the best track on the album for me. Yeah, you like it's by uh, very it's very high favorite of mine, but it's not the best. You like some of the different tracks, of course. Yes, I think my favorite is Ooh. probably the famous scene. Yes, right. I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone does. Yes. Um. So it's called Over the Moon. Mm-hmm. I think it's very short. It's Yeah, it is short. It's two minutes, 12 seconds. Okay. So we'll give it a go. We'll, yeah. go, we'll go from there. Awesome. So that is Over the Moon. Featuring the best, potentially the best scene in film history. Yes. Also some awesome piano. 
If I could ever learn a song on piano, it would have to be this piece, hands down. It's not all on piano, though. So you would play, like, the in-between parts. They would they would have a you know orchestra, then they would point to you. You'd yeah, play the like, first 10 <laughs> seconds. They'd be like, all right, that's good. Switch back. It's like back and forth. Um, but talking about this film a little bit more, it's in the National Film Registry, right? Yep. Yeah. As of 1994. Ooh. Now, okay. I'm, not sh- I'm not sure if this is saying much because do you know what other movies also in this fun little set as well? No. Shrek. What? Is it really? Yep. Huh. Okay. Is this the Library of Congress registry? Is this yeah, something else? Yeah, it's, so it's like um, basically the next generation will open up this and find all these movies soon to play, and Shrek's going to be on the list. I could see why. It's one of the... I think it... Didn't it win the first animated feature Oscar? I don't know, but it's Shrek. It's funny. <laughs> it is true. Yeah, <laughs> the fact that Shrek is in the Library of Congress is kind of ironic. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm glad it's this film will be kind of, I guess immortalized for all of time uh, as long as we still have digital media in the future which I know we will but still people will be talking about this film forever um, it definitely deserves it and a scene like that over the moon is just it's the icing on the cake for the movie that's already timeless uh, maybe a little bit simple for some people I think especially in Spielberg's filmography it's not the most hard hitting film but it's it's got to be up there it's E.T. I think another question that's always fun to think about hmm. is Empire Strikes Back came out before this. Yes. And we had before, another puppet-like creature in that. We did. So is there a correlation here? Is there some inspiration for sure, you think? I think so. I think the ability for film to be based on a puppet kind of originated from Yoda, which is who we were talking about, by the way, for the puppet, for anyone who doesn't know Star Wars very well. Um, and a really great moment in E.T. is when they meet each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a moment when, uh, during the Halloween sequence, uh, when Elliot and his two um, other siblings, his brother and sister, they hide E.T. under this blanket and make him a ghost because it's Halloween, so it's convenient. And that way they were able to leave the house without him being a distraction and scary for everyone in the neighborhood. And they're walking down the street, and this is back when kids actually went trick-or-treating outside. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, they pass by... And their moms didn't just buy them candy. Exactly. And the kids stayed home and played video games. Anyway... Um, they pass by a very realistic looking Yoda and n- what else but John Williams little motif for Yoda plays <laughs> and I love that moment every time um, yeah I think it's a great moment mm-hmm. and of course it's like yeah we, we just had the puppet too because we just shot Empire so yeah, let's, let's use it for this too thing. <laughs> um, but yeah I, I think it's I think they definitely when they're at the drawing board so they're like you know we just had a puppet and it's like what what can we what else can we do with this? Right. But I was kind of thinking about it, and some other films that Pixar did with like another creature-like character. Oh. With I think Wall-E. Okay, that's I very think, similar. I yeah. think you could think about because they, they they both don't speak like too many words. Right. Yeah, they're very. I think they're Wall-E's pretty much what three words. Same with ET. Um, and they both did. Rely on visuals. They both did a great job of giving them personalities. Right. Right. Yeah, which is really important for the sake of um, uh, for the sake of their characters and actually getting you to care about them, um, because it's you know it's hard without any dialogue. It's hard to give any um, real weight to what they're doing, and the fact that they were able to in both films. Really, I think Wally was probably very much so based off of ET and what ET did for sure. And it's kind of stepping stones. Like we saw Yoda, and they were like, "All right, we can take a puppet and make him." emotionally attached you know and give the audience something to actually root for 
And then they did that for E.T. And they're like, oh, we can go even further into this animation. So it's kind of like unique stepping stones you can see throughout film history. It's really cool to study. Now, one of William's favorite tracks to play on tours is Adventures on Earth. One of his longer tracks. It's usually 10 to 15 minutes, depending on the version. There's multiple takes Mm -hmm. on this. And, you know, like we said last week, we will get to see some John Williams music this this Saturday, actually, with the New Haven Orchestra. Mm. And yes, we should, I am so excited for that. You should get to hear this track. It's in the set list. Very, I'm very excited. Anticipated. This is my favorite, like I said, it's my favorite, especially the last half, is my favorite bit it of is, music that William's ever it's written. It's perfect for a concert, though. Yes. Definitely. It has that sweeping feel. Um, ah, we might as well play it. Of talking about it. Whatever you're doing, <laughs> sit back. You got 15 minutes. Yes. So. We might not play the whole thing, depending, but. Depending, I love the whole thing, so we might just have to. Let's see how it goes. Here we go.
Wow. Yes. I'm not wow sure right. if anyone's still listening from <laughs> that 15 minute break. Yeah. But if you are, we, we love you for yes, staying. Yes, we appreciate with us. you for staying. Um, because that piece is probably one of the most impactful pieces. And I would say it's the most impactful piece that John Williams has ever written, I think. It's hard to argue with that. Yeah. And I personally, I can't wait till we see this potentially fully in live concert Saturday, which is awesome. But even if we get like little snippets of it, I will still be very happy because it's start to finish. Perfect. Right. E.T. is something we probably could talk about for a long time. Yeah, we definitely could. But we do have to move on because we, mm-hmm. we have more material for today. Yeah. So if you guys were bored before, we got some tracks coming up. So something a little more interesting. Yeah, we'll about. have a little bit of a, a fun banter back and forth. So do you want to start it off? Uh, I can start it off. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you do Definitely. it? So right. do you have recognizable things this time? Because you always pick like the most random movies that like <laughs> no one's heard of. And it's just like, this is not fun. I know. I'm going to try. I'm, everything I'm playing is like very well known. Well, and like, but the themes aren't that, for the most part. That's the catch for the most part. Like I if, would say, like, if I played, um, uh, let's just say Superman, right? Let's just say, like, Man of Steel, for example, right? Very well, kn- everyone knows that Man of Steel exists. Maybe the th- everyone does not know the theme, though, right? Okay, so that's fair. Let's see what you got for us. All right, so I have one. I believe this is from mid two thousands, and. Let's give it a listen. It builds pretty much consistently throughout the whole piece. I don't know if we're going to get through all four minutes, but let's give it a try. Okay. <laughs> Easy. You know this one? Of course. The trick is which version, which I would not get. It's angels versus angel, angels v. demons. It's the the Da Vinci Code. Yes, it is. There's, and this it, is... Uh, it plays... I think there's three of them or whatever it is. It plays in like three different movies. There's three movies. Um, and uh, this is the first one. This is from Da Vinci Code. Um, Easy. Easy. Yeah. Next track. Okay. We'll stop it there. Um, if you want to give it more of a listen, it's on Spotify. It's called Chevaliers de Sangria. Sangral? Sangrial? Shout out to you for trying to pronounce that. Yeah, I thought halfway through, I Sangrial, I believe, is how you say it. Um, but yeah, one of Hans Zimmer's more unfamiliar scores in general, but that piece in particular is very well known. Yeah. All right, let's go with... Hmm. All right, you got that one very easily, so I do want to give you something that's a little bit more tricky. Huh. All right, there's a bunch on here I could choose from that are kind of like mid-tier as far as recogni- like recognition, I guess. Very mid not mid like the culturally significant mid now where it's like just another way to say it's bad um you know what i feel like this is recognizable enough let's go with this okay from the 90s big budget no not action. You know what I would guess is Titanic. It's, I, okay. don't, I don't know Titanic score that well at all. Not Titanic. Um, it sounds like that. <laughs> but for some reason, <laughs> I could imagine Titanic. This is like very family, family oriented. Um, I've heard this before. Do you want me to tell you? Um, keep guessing. Is it Disney? Don't know actually. Okay. Not is it, sure. Is it a cartoon? 
No, no, it's a uh, live action. Okay. Um, very, I would say, very popular composer around this time, 1993. Romance movie? Rom-com? Sports. You definitely gave it away with that clue, but I don't know the theme to... It's 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 one of the it's one of the famous ones everyone loves. Why, why don't you just give it away? So this is Rudy, okay, by Jerry Goldsmith. Main title. Oh, uh, okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. A favorite this. of mine. I like it a lot. Um, it's very um, very James Goldsmith. Yeah, I don't know his style too well, so it's um, that was a good one. It's kind of like a not, I don't want to say knockoff because it's not a knockoff, but it's a. Uh, I don't know. It's very John Williams-esque as far as he likes his old European orchestra. Um, but he's really good with themes. Really good with themes. Anyway, that's uh, some tracks for my section. Let's go to yours. I'm excited. Okay. So I'm not going to give you any clues yet because I want to see if you can figure it out. Okay. But here we go. All right. Let's do it. Oh, my gosh. You do this every time. You pick a track... <laughs> You ready? I've heard before. Ready? It's not from a movie. Is it from a TV show? No. From a game? No. It's from a movie trailer. Endgame. Yep. You know what? Because you've seen this trailer a hundred times. You've had to. Is this um, this radio machine or something? They're called audio machine. Audio machine. There we go. Um, that's, I wasn't sure you would get that, but I knew it would be like on the tip of your tongue. Yeah, and for anyone who doesn't know, that's a marvelous trailer. <laughs> Pun. I love that. Um, yeah, dad joke. That, um, so that, that trailer, yeah. I, it was very heavily rumored to come out that they had, that it did. And I pretended to be sick from school. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> so I woke up at 9 a.m. and the trailer dropped. Really? Was that early? I don't yeah, remember it, that. It, it always drops at 9 a.m. Huh. So I woke up, I saw, I was like, it, it came out, it came out. <laughs> and I saw it, I played it, and I was like, let's go. And I watched it like 10 times, of course. I was a big fan of the way they marketed Endgame a lot, just because of how strong they already had it with Infinity War. It was War. so smart marketing because it gave us the vibe that it was going to be a Tony get out of space story. And, and it, course, wasn't it wasn't. Which as is, much as it, which was a little annoying. Nope, it, was it wasn't but. because... For the for Endgame and for everyone trying to figure out what was the plot of the movie, it was the best way to throw, throw everyone true. off their tracks. That's true. And, they, and at course, that point, they could do that and because of course, it's Marvel. And of course, Infinity War is one of the best, well-received Marvel movies. So, like, are you? Is anyone going to watch a trailer, trailer and complain and be like, "Yeah, this wasn't good"? No, you're right. You know what I mean? You're right. Genius, I think. Yeah, it was smart. Only the final shot bothers me still. Of uh, the trailer, the, the marketing, how like they were in the forest with all the Avengers shot and. It, yeah. It never happened. Yeah, it was a little frustrating, but right. I don't mind that as much. All right, next one. Okay. <sighs> I know this, too. <laughs> Man, you do this every time. Um, is this from a movie? Yes. Okay. Um... I know this. I don't worry. It was only one and done with the not from a movie thing. So, 
Is this a recent film in the last 10 years? 10 years old this year. 2012, to my knowledge. There might be eight, I forget, exactly. Is it Marvel? Yes. Ah. Whose style is it? Not Silvestri. It's so Alan Silvestri. Is it really? <laughs> it is. Oh my. That's you, not. You okay. Failed. Lily, Avengers? Only, yes. How? So it's it's Avengers 1. It's a promise, it's called. And it's legit when the Avengers make a promise that if another threat comes to Earth, that they will... Avengers level threat? <laughs> yep. That they will all assemble again and fight. Huh. And I honestly... Still, I haven't seen the movie in a long time. And Stark's in like his sports car with Bruce Banner. Okay. And they're all like, yeah, we're friends now. Huh. Very disappointing. I knew the guitar section once that stopped and kind of whittled away, I, I lost it. But okay. okay, that was a very good subtract from you. I cool. need to get more of those. I like know, you know, nothing with Marvel. So I know very little with Marvel, unfortunately. Um, I have some that I would will play next week, though. That I'm excited for. All right, so it's time to talk about the Lion King. Yes, I'm excited to ask you a ton of questions because I know that this is a score you talk about all the time. Lion King, 1994. Mm-hmm. There's two versions now. Okay. There's the animated version, in quotations, that people call it. And it came out, I think, 2019. Mm-hmm. And that grossed $1.7 billion, $1.6. I think it was. It's the highest high, yeah. grossing, again, quotations, animated movie of all time. Right. Um, There's apparently only one shot that's real. Like the ba- I think the backgrounds, I could be wrong. It's the sunrise. Or sunrise, but I think a lot of the backgrounds could be real. I don't know if that's true. I think they might have scanned them in and then used the rest of the graphics engine to make all the animals and everything else. But I think yeah. you're probably right. The background's probably somewhere. So real. we're going to focus mostly on the original because that's what everyone cares about. I really did not like the new one, which we can talk about that. But again, but, uh, this is Hans Zimmer's first Oscar-winning score. Yes, it is. And this is what proved his point. Beyond deserving. So first random fact, AJ fact is okay. I always watch this movie and I I always wish that there was a non-musical version of this. You mean like no songs, like no singing pieces? Yes, no, okay. no, no song. N- not not the score to come out, but the all the music. The, the, like none of the, the characters song, sing the throughout. Singing, all the okay. singing, gone. yes. Okay, I understand that. Because, yeah. and I think that's why I like Black Panther so much is because of the Lion King vibes and like the more adult tone. But okay. like... This is such a good movie. <laughs> it's very strong. And the music doesn't... And with the music, too, we do get some cool collabs. Like, we get yes. Elton John. That's what I was going to say. Tim Rice. You know, yeah. like Circle of Life, which is how iconic a Circle of Life. I feel like as much as, like you say, um, the more musical version is, you know, it's it's a musical. I'm not a huge fan of movie musicals, but those songs are so ingrained in what this movie is, it'd yeah. be hard for me to remove them. See, it's not... This, this is one of my points, too. Mm-hmm. There's only a few songs I don't love, like Circle of Life. Great. Be Prepared. Great. Um, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Great. Then there's, like, some of the other ones. Like, the middle section has always been my weakest point on When He Runs Away. It's, like, my biggest issue with the movie. Not that yeah. it's bad. And, it, like, for his character, it, it, it's what he needed, in that, and we see it towards the end. But, like, that's something that always bothered me a little bit. That's a good point. I don't know. 
Uh, Kota Matata is fun when you're a kid. Don't so, you like know, as, a, as an older person, it's just not... Nope. doesn't have the same vibe. So, with the score a little bit, do you know how Hans decided to agree to do the score? Uh, no. No, not off the top of my head. Okay. I'm curious. So, this is a nice little story. Okay. So, basically, at, up to this point, some of the things he's mainly been known for is from, from like, Rain Man and Backdraft. Mm-hmm. And he didn't originally like Disney musicals. He said this in the interview. And Disney was like, great, you're hired. <laughs> because Disney wanted something completely different from what they have done in the past, which I don't know if this is completely different. Like, okay, musical, a musical is a musical. But I guess I get the vibes are different. But it is definitely, I guess you have like the African chants and the instrumental Mm-hmm. That's like the uniqueness of the score. So like that was one of the reasons Disney wanted Hans Zimmer was to get his unique style. Right. And the second reason, which I think is the more interesting one, was that it was for his daughter. Okay. I feel like I've heard I something I t- about that I, before. I, I definitely know this. I think I told yeah. this story before, but he couldn't show his daughter like the movies that he's done because they've been R-rated and she was a child. So he was like, what can I do to you know, watch a movie with her that I wrote? Let's, huh. let's do a kids movie. That's a good point. Yeah. So he was able to watch this with his daughter, and share a moment to be like, "Yeah, I want the music." She probably was like, "Eh." <laughs> probably at the time, yeah, <laughs> well, didn't really did appreciate it. But that's that's awesome. I well, like how wholesome know. that reason is. Very um, very personal too, which I think you can hear in the score because it's very. I know he also mentioned that he was thinking about his father when he wrote it. I think. Yeah, you, you always describe the score as very human, mm-hmm. uh, which I like is a very great way to to, um, to put it. Right. But I'm gonna. We're gonna start with Circle of Life because you have to. Yes, it's the only way. I to think go. it's a must. So let's start with that. Awesome. Thank you. 
December. <laughs> yeah. I think that was, that was pretty good, actually. That was good. Yeah. Even without any distortion. It's good. Yeah. Um, I was a big fan of that. I don't obviously. know if you can say that's... If you say that's bad, then, like, you shouldn't be sitting in this room. It's. I think the only reason why anyone would say it's bad is that they've heard it so many times. Nope. But that's nope. just... Nope. You can't, you can't get sick of it. Fair enough. <laughs> so, one of the biggest changes between the original and the 2019... Most unfortunately. Most unfortunately was that they cut most of Be Prepared, which I love that song. And again, I just talked about how much I hate the songs, but Be Prepared is one of the ones I like the most. Yes. And one of my favorites too, especially Jeremy Irons. Just, it's perfect. We don't really know why. So like upon doing some research, <laughs> um, just like many films from you know 90s, 80s, 70s, was they that that scene of um of be prepared was very much based on the 1935 Nazi propaganda film Triumph of the Will okay which just kind of shows like 1934 in Nazi Germany hmm. so was this disney trying to stay away from this or was this strictly now you remember too Beyonce has a new single it's called Spirit yes so that played it, during the movie right yes yeah. Um, so I think it's when he he like runs back to uh, to Pride Rock, I believe. But do you think this was because of them trying to throw away some things they did in the past, or do you think it was just trying to just let them use new music? And of course, Disney's not going to come out and say right. this is the reason why. But like people have said, you know, is this the reason? And it's one of those things that's like I could see it both ways mm-hmm. of like. You know, because lots of it's a thing with Disney Plus too. They try to push away these negative stereotypes or things they've done in the past that might not align to today's um, values and traditions, um, with like warning messages and stuff like that. But I don't know. I, I, I don't um, know. They what they replaced it with was very sad. Yeah, and that's the worst part about it. Is it's just it's a it's a halfway done approach to that song because we, it did have be prepared in it right we, we basically get hyena chants for like a minute and then he like he he starts scar starts like screaming and then like li- random lines and then he says be prepared once and then pretty much ends it's like under two minutes it's very short and the setting too was like a dark cave right no real lighting or anything right it was just around the circle it, it was different yeah it, it definitely was nowhere near the magic that the original had, but uh, this this hurts me the most because I wanted to love the the remake, but the remake just I wasn't know. there. It's just uh, I, the fact that they remade it too was kind of sad because they've just been on that wave. I think ending with Mulan most recently was the last yeah. one they've done. Um, I think what, it's what, just not necessary. What makes me the most mad is that it made money. I know nothing. A ton of money nothing too. more than me wants the movie to flop, so then it doesn't. They stop remaking movies and do original ideas, right? Because once it made whatever two point six, I think it was one point six, one point seven, two point six, but one point six billion. Then Disney's like, "This is a cold mine. We're going to keep on doing this." Yeah, and they're they're right because people do go out and see it, and as much as it's you know harmless to do that, it's just it's sad that you know the House of Mouse can't really come up with anything else for live action besides just reliving what they've done before or taking what they've done and put a new spin on it like with Corella as much as Corella might have been cool it's still not original IP so it's just just sad yeah I mean it's Corella was 
actually a little bit different because it was it was like her character's origin. Mm-hmm. It was a cool like, idea. The Lion King was a shot for shot remake, and there's no other way to put it. Right. And it was just lazy, and you could totally tell it was just for money. But moving to more positive facts, it's funny because again, I watched another interview with Hans Zimmer about the score, and it seems like like you. I think you mentioned this before, how humble he is to Abel, but he yes. hasn't, I don't think he realizes how much people love it. Because he said when he was going on tour originally, the one you went to, how... Um, <laughs> oh, there's always a grudge. <laughs> yep, always. Yeah. But he said he didn't realize how much people loved it and how much it like brought people together. Mm-hmm. And like he forgets that like, people love The Lion King. Besides Inception, it got the most fan response from yeah, the crowd by far. If you watch like, any concert videos, I'm sure, and you can tell us since you... We had a kind of a quieter crowd, but from, concert, but I know what you know sure from Prague, people, yeah, it's, it's enormous. had a great reaction, I'm sure, yeah. to hearing that. Yeah. So, so another fun fact, I don't think you know about this. Ooh, okay. Is that, did you know that the 1994 movie was mostly recorded on synthesizers in a studio? And oh, I didn't know this at all. In 2019, when he re um, recorded the the new cut, it was he actually used a real percussionist, and he had like a drum kit circle when huh. he was recording it. So funny enough, as much as we want to hate on the new one from the soundtrack, he did something a little bit different. I kind of like that too. I know you're gonna be all in with those drums. So. Yes, because I am. Um, I have played the drums in the past, and I like it a lot. Especially modern pop is kind of the biggest culprit of this, just taking a trap beat or taking a um, a drum sample and just throwing it in there. And it's entirely inhuman. It's very robotic. But the fact that he was able to bring a whole yeah. group of people to actually play, because uh, the original sounds great, yeah. even the way he did it. And it's funny because this kind of takes us back to Dune a little bit, how mm. he went to Home Depot to right. find the sound he wanted to find. And this shows, once again, Zimmer putting in the effort to getting the sound exactly how he wanted the sound. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't disappoint. Yeah. And, and he, he could have been lazy. and not, It's not very exactly. lazy. It's really exactly. just what works, works. And that's kind of what, that's Disney's uh, philosophy too. But he could have just, you know, copy and pasted most of it. Yeah, but he went out of his way to actually get some right. real musicians in there and make something happen again, which was awesome. But again, now going back to the movie, the best thing about this movie is, one, the animation's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the original, right? Yes. Okay. I would never say anything good about the, the movie. <laughs> yeah. And the emotion they were able to create with these animals. And that's what the new one ruined. Yeah. Right? You agree. have Mufasa's death scene, and we can't see Simba cry because of the technology they use. And it's not even that as much as it's just they chose to go the realistic route, which you can't mimic the emotional... Just like like you're bringing up Simba crying. Like that, in the original film, it's just so much more impactful, especially for kids seeing it for the first time than the new one. The new one doesn't hit you as hard because even though the music is the same and the editing's the same, the shots are the same, it doesn't have that same hit because you can't see emotion on the animals' faces. It's just... It just sounds yeah, at that point. One thing that Walt Disney always wanted to do with his original films we see all the time is we always see a parent dying, too. Mm-hmm. Or at least, Very Disney or at least some story. character dying. And mainly because Walt wanted to try to 
what's the way to put it? He wanted to show kids about death and teach them about death because people always say that's one of the hardest things to explain to kids. Right. Was like someone dying. Like, how do you explain that to a kid? Mm-hmm. So he was trying to normal, normalize it in like his movies. Right. So more people could like understand it. So it wasn't so traumatizing. Yeah. Right. And you know, the Lion King's story structure is very um, play-like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Very. I think Shakespeare is the way to put it. Yeah, Shakespearean. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, that's the technical term. <laughs> and then there's the yeah. AJ word. So. Shakespeare. Yeah, it, it works. It gets the point yeah. across. But by far my favorite scene has to be remember who you are. Of course. Right. I think that's everyone's favorite yeah. scene. I don't think you would say anything else. But no. the, the stampede scene is, for me, a close second. I love the music during that. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I am going to play Remember Who You Are because okay. we have to. Because I listen to this track so much. Yes. And this is my, this is my favorite track from the album. Awesome. Let's do it. All right. Let's give it a listen. What's happening? What? And they don't.
Yeah, well, I was right. <laughs> so this is my favorite track from the album, like I said before, and just heads home. Mm-hmm. It's it's the most the most em- emotional part of the film when when Simba is seeing his dad. Yeah. Right. And I think for sure the original does it, of course, better. <laughs> oh, for like, sure. Do you know the famous shot of like the wind blowing through like his, like his, uh, once the clouds part, right? And you see him. Yeah. Yeah. It's like blowing on his face. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking you about? You don't get that with the new version. It feels very flat. Mm-hmm. It's all the eyes. The eyes, the original, you know, the eyes are very white, big. very white. Yes. Very big. Um, it's just so much more expressive than the new one, hands down. I th- and also, I think one of the biggest film strength is Scar. Is Scar mm-hmm. is a very good villain. Yes, he's on. Of course, he's a, an iconic Disney villain. Mm-hmm. But he's also evil. Like he's just straight up evil. Yeah. I like, I like how the film doesn't tell us why he's evil. He just he just is. That's just, just him. Yeah. Right. That's just yeah. he's always been that way. He's always the the weird uncle <laughs> um, <laughs> who becomes more than that by the end. Um, yeah, and it's just it's fantastic. They don't to try watch like justify time. his backstory, right? Like that's what Cruella does that people don't like. But um, yeah, it doesn't need it. You don't need to know Scars. It makes him more intriguing as a villain. You don't know his backstory, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and he he does the same thing. The stampede scene is great too on its own. Mm-hmm. That whole sequence, and then of course the the for me it, it would go circle of life. So like the opening. And of course, stampede the stampede scene. I love the stampede track. And yes, and of course, when we just played the reflections on the water, mm-hmm. remember who you are. And then of course, the final fight is is fun. Yeah. Anytime you put fire in like a kids film, uh, it's just interesting. <laughs> yeah, and especially for animation that's two D, it's very they can make it much more expressive than anything that's trying to go photorealism. You know, the fire can flame up when it's dramatic, and you know deeper down when it doesn't need to be and it just it doesn't stand out because it's animation whereas in the new one it's just it's a very dull ending it's the same exact shots again but something about it's just it's missing the charm of the original right I've seen this movie countless times every time it holds up Mm -hmm. I still love it every time I watch it but we got 10 minutes left which means we have to decide which one is better E.T. or The Lion King I know so I think we should say which one is the better movie and which one has a better score. And the, the, there might not be... Might not be the same. There might be an answer. Might not be an answer. Maybe there will be. All right. I will say I'm willing to concede on the basis of The Lion King being a better film. Okay. I think The Lion King's story stronger. I think E.T., as much as I love it, it's simple for Spielberg. And I know it's what it was going for, but it doesn't have the doesn't have the full package of everything that Lion King has. E.T. is very iconic, and that's the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. It and being iconic doesn't mean that your film is the best. Right. It's just very well known. It stands out a lot, but it's not it's not Spielberg's best. Like if I asked my parents, they would obviously know E.T. Mm-hmm. and they most likely would know the score. Right. But not that The Lion King is a bad movie because I think it is a good movie, mm-hmm. but does the score have the same same impact as E.T.? I think the answer is no. Okay. Yeah. So you would say that Lion King has less of an impact from the music to the film versus E.T.? No, no, no. 
outside like the cultural impact like et as a as a movie defines a generation in my opinion okay i agree but i think lion king equally does okay as well i i I don't know if it does and honestly it could just be recency bias too because it's newer but i'm gonna say I, i don't think it does Okay. Everyone, I respect that. The problem is, I think because there's so much other musicals mm-hmm. from Disney, and again, this, this, the storyline is something that we're very, very familiar with, not that it's a bad thing. I don't know if it's going to be this movie that that, that shocked the nation as much as, like, E.T. to me. Like, everyone, everyone like, E.T., there's just something about it, something special about it. Right. I'm not sure if Lion King has the same reputation. Yeah, I think it's the timeless nature of E.T. a little bit more. I think it's maybe live action helps, especially with the kids. Um, it brings you back to childhood more than Lion King does. Point. But I am willing to say that story structure, pacing, Lion King might have in the bag for me. Um, okay. But I will not concede at all about E.T. score. E.T. score is up top. It always will be. So <laughs> what I'm going to say is yeah. I think... I think E.T. has the better theme, but not the better overall score. Okay. I can agree to a certain extent, um, but then I listened to track after track on E.T.'s both albums, the reissue from 2002 and the original, and I I struggled to find a track that I was bored by. A lot of very similar orchestration. The theme shows up a lot, but I don't know. I think it's just it's a little bit stronger. I think trying to fight over these two is very difficult it is because it's okay for them to both live in their own world and right. both be good exactly I don't think one needs to be better than the other honestly but if I had to choose one this is the question like yeah. if you had to choose one yeah right? that's for me really yeah and I, I think I said this before but I have not seen E.T. In, from start to finish in a while mm-hmm. whereas I have sat down and watched Lion King more right so that might say something too okay but I don't know. They're both very good in their own way. Yeah. And of course, like, you can bring up the argument, which I think is stupid, but I will bring it up in terms of, like, effects and, like, watching it from, like, 50 years from now, how, like, animation's going to hold up versus, like, live action. In a way, yeah. I will say, the 2002 reissue, which has an almost entirely CGI ET, is not very good. It looks worse than the first the original theatrical cut it didn't so I wouldn't recommend the it the same magic no right. and I do like the reissue for the score because it has a lot more on it uh, the original score is only 40 minutes um, it's missing a ton a lot of things are combined together but it's not it's not as strong as the reissue is uh, but that's the only positive I can see from the remastered version of the film is the score everything else they've changed in the movie itself is not that's a that's a fair point so you're gonna say that Lion King has a better story et for the score yeah that would be my choice if i had to pick a movie to watch it'd be lion king a score to listen to et for me i think there's no doubt for the story wise i would pick lion king as well mm-hmm. i'm stuck with the score though you're stuck with the score hmm. because it's so difficult yeah but because for the sake of time and of course i do have to choose one yeah i'm gonna pick lion king okay lion king sweeps We'll agree to disagree. And sure enough, Lion King will sweep the story category for our breakdown, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah, we definitely really very much broke down both films. Yeah, and I think it was 
a justified comparison, as much as on the surface it might seem like, why are you comparing these two films from different decades, different yeah. styles? But they have a lot of emotional weight, and at least from my perspective, they both define the childhood generation that watched them at the time. Right. Both those generations know E.T. as one of their definitive films, and I think that kind of shows how they've stood out from the crowd. Right. So why don't we tell everyone what we're going to be doing in the next few weeks, or at least next week? Yes, so real quick, um, we will be planning for the rest of our time here at Quinnipiac for this, I guess, first season, the film Maestro. We were talking, AJ and I, and we have decided to compare the Star Wars prequels and Lord of the Rings. Oh, no. We will have to break down both, so we will probably designate next week and the following week to the prequel, all three films. So um, episodes one, two, and three. Yeah. Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith, one of my favorites. Of course. One of mine, too. And then Lord of the Rings, one, two, and three. We'll probably break both of those breakdowns across two episodes each. So two for prequels, two for Lord of the Rings, and then a big finale versus. A big fight. Big fight. A big we will debate. get physical in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> there will be uh, some hands thrown. I guess I'll say that. <laughs> Possibly. Possibly. If we both agree, which I feel like I'm already leaning one way, Howard I could Shore be entirely changed. Versus John Williams. That's the matchup of the century. Oof. That's bigger than any MMA fight that I know. <laughs> it's going to be intense, but you're definitely going to want to listen to the next few episodes because it's going to be crazy. That's all I'm going to say. They're all going to build. So definitely be here next Tuesday and uh, for the next couple weeks for the rest of the At semester. 2 p.m. 2 p.m. Always. Yep. That's all we got for today's episode of the film Maestro. I've been AJ. I'm Jack. And that's all we got for you today. Until next time. <laughs>